Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everybody, it's Fowler here once again to tell you about Manscaped, but it's different this time. No, I'm not talking about freshly shaven balls, I'm talking about their new Weed Whacker, that's right. Manscaped have just released the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer in the UK. Take a look in the mirror and I guarantee you see those hairs sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean shaven Pubes. Now, I don't, well, as far as I'm aware, I don't have a problem with ear hair. I don't necessarily have a problem with nose hair either, but I do get them. Uh, They're more kind of a discomfort than anything else. I I, I hate when, especially since I suffer from hay fever and can get like a bit of an irritating nose sometimes. I hate the fact that when I have some some nose hairs just hanging around and I do, I, I don't like to go up there with scissors. So I do just tend to try and pull them out. It is, uh, it's painful. It always makes me sneeze. It makes my eyes water. It's not a good look. And I I certainly would benefit from this product. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which means it helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate little areas. It is the only nose hair trimmer on the market with a powerful and rechargeable lithium-ion battery that lasts for up to 90 minutes of use. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Yes, you can get a replaceable blade every three months to keep your weed whacking time clean and enjoyable. Look, everyone, 79% of partners polled have admitted that long nose hair is, is a major turnoff. And I think you can only agree with that, surely. I mean, nobody, nobody likes to look at it. It's, it's very off-putting. It's, it's, it's not pleasant at all. Just get, get those whacked. And in order to help you do that, we're offering 20% off with free shipping when you use the code Terrace at Manscaped.com. So once again, let's get 20% off and free shipping with the code Terrace at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use the code Terrace. What are you waiting for? Get those weeds whacked! Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and tonight's show is going to be going back to the old school a little bit. So you'll know that this season we've changed it up a little with people not being allowed to be together in the same room and basically there's been a host on the Monday show and then they've talked to guests one at a time. Well, technically it's still going to be like that but <laughs> it's going to be but we're just going to instead of bringing on different guests we're going to fly through all six games like we used to do as opposed to kind of break it up as much and maybe not going quite as full depth on each game as we did before and uh, that's because there wasn't really anybody available uh, somehow in, in early January d- during lockdown 
Uh, everybody's got such great plans, uh, but it's just myself and Tom Watt. So hello, Tom. Thank you for joining me. Otherwise, I had no, no idea what the fuck I was going to do. Not at all. Glad to be here. And I'm very glad that I've got nothing to do. <laughs> and everyone else has got such exciting diaries. That I've got nothing better to do than review the games from the weekend. But thank you very much for having me. Good to speak to you. <laughs> yes, it's good to speak to you too. And let's begin by going to the game I brought to the weekend. The big, the big match of the weekend. Rangers won, Celtic nil. Celtic dominating a lot of uh, the play in the in the first half, especially probably still even in control of the game. I would say up until near beat on red card, then Rangers are on top. Rangers score. Celtic put a wee bit more pressure at the end, but Rangers escape with a victory, nineteen points ahead. Celtic still have three games in hand, but even in recent form, you wouldn't necessarily be entirely confident that they would win all three. And you're just thinking with that gap, it, it's. Celtic are pretty much going to have to win every game between now and the end of the season, aren't they? Yeah, and they're also running out of games. I mean, Rangers have got... It feels like we're only... I mean, it doesn't feel like the season's that old because it's been a staggered sort of season, but Rangers have only got 16 games left to to drop points in. So I can't see it in, in any way, shape or form. Um, you wouldn't, like you say, you wouldn't bank on Celtic taking a maximum nine points from the three games that they've got in hand. But even if they did you wouldn't bank on them winning the remainder of their whatever 19 that they've got left uh, for, for the rest of the season, even if they call in the reinforcements. And I think this game, more than anyone else, more than anything else I've seen, is, is shows just how much has changed in, in a year. I mean, this was almost what Celtic did to Rangers um, uh, uh, when they were, you know... When, they kind of put them in their place and it was always... I thought I, thought, were, I, thought, I thought you were going to say this was almost exactly like what Celtic did the Rangers in the League Cup final. It was. I mean, it was exactly those sorts of games when when you felt like it was the Rangers players that were they were doing all the talking beforehand. It was them that were, were hyped up and it was them who started the better, that had all the pressure, that had the chances, but for some heroic goalkeeping, some great last-ditch last defending... Um, they would have been out of sight and then the tide turns and it's, you know, it's almost just being put, like I said, being put in your place by uh, the, the dominant force. And that was exactly what happened in this game. Yeah. And I mean, I, it was, it was quite startling how much Celtic were in control in the first half. You kind of expected Rangers to, to wake up a little bit. And I suppose they did get better as the game went on. They were, they were slowly improving, even, even even before the red card, I'm not necessarily think not necessarily saying they would have ended up the game on top or the or the way they won anyway, but I still thought they were kind of managing to, to to improve slightly as things were going on. But I think a lot of it was to do with Celtic set up. I think it a lot of people wondered beforehand whether, in fact, I'm pretty sure that Chris Boyd wrote a column saying that if they if they start in the diamond formation, then they're going to get absolutely murdered down the wings with with Tavernier and Barisic, and that didn't happen at all. Celtic's system was actually pretty perfect for setting up against Rangers, and it'd be interesting to see if other teams go with it as well. I'm, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of them facing a diamond uh, this campaign so far, mainly because I, don't, I can't really think of many teams in this league that have played the diamond at all. And it kind of it works. It, the manner in which it worked was that in having McGregor and Christie, two guys who are probably two of the most dynamic players in Scottish football. So they were able to kind of shut off the wing so it wasn't just, you know, two sets of players, you know, Rangers right back, Rangers right midfielder, uh, left back, left, or as opposed to right midfielder, I should probably say right-sided forward, uh, and then left back and left-sided forward, as opposed to allowing them to kind of double up, Christy and McGregor were very capable of, you know, keeping their kind of central position so that Celtic still had the advantage in there but also getting out quickly enough so that they were blocking off lanes for Rangers in which to pass the ball forward and also as well Lee Griffiths and Odson Edward both of them kind of played on the kind of kind of opposite shoulder of their defender so they weren't kind of looking to move inside they were looking to move outside that created a number of scenarios where Celtic looked very dangerous in the early going that kind of froze Tavernier and Barisic, who as a result were kind of a lot more hesitant to get forward than they would be in most games. And with the kind of play of Rangers front three in the first half, very kind of passive, it just meant that Rangers really had nowhere to go. They could go out to the wings, they were shut off there, 
they couldn't really play through the middle because Celtic had an advantage there. And when they went long, Ayer especially was winning his battles constantly and the ball just kept coming back. And it's and in the end, they're actually maybe quite fortunate Rangers that they managed to get the victory without really doing too much to change it tactically. They brought in Hadji at halftime and that did make things better. He operated more as a midfielder and didn't occupy as much of the same space as Morelos, as, as Roof was. But you still... It still didn't change an awful lot that you kind of thought that, OK, Rangers are going to go and win this. But uh, obviously the red card changes a lot of that. It does. Uh, and I think I, I agree with the you're saying. I think that not only were they tactically spot on, I think there was an awful lot of players who there's been question marks over this season who had very, very good games. I thought Sorrow and Turnbull played... If they, if they had played more this season like they played in that, there wouldn't be the same gap. I thought Laxalt was very good. Griffiths was encouraging. Um, McGregor was tactically much... like he, he was much more of a dominant force tactically than than he has been in some of the, the previous games. And, and Ayer was absolutely brilliant. So if there is anything positive to take from it, there were a lot of... Uh, the, the the performance was largely pretty good, but it does all hinge on this red card, and it was for me absolutely a red card. I mean, Kenny Kenny Dalglish has even said so, so I think that's the book closed on that one. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, for, it, 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 there's issues. There's there, there's lots of issues with Beton as a defender. Um, I think we're, anyone who's seen him play and has seen Celtic this season and seen him play as a centre-back this season has seen where those issues are. Celtic have had issues on and off with the central defence, not least because Julian seems like he's out for quite some time. This is not a, an issue of a player playing out of def, uh, out of position. This is just naivety. Like it, It's a stupid red card to... Uh, it's a stupid red card to give away. Like Even if Morelos gets away... There is like yes, he's through on goal, but he's still like he still has quite a lot to do. But but by the letter of the law, it's a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity, and he's got to go. Yes, and um, also it's a guy who's played in sixteen old firm games, I think. Yeah, and not scored. It does does have a record of slightly shitting his pants? Yes, so that can't box. That's, so, uh, that's not allowed to go to the referee's thinking, but no. it, it should go into <laughs> Beaton's thinking. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, the way that Celtic are playing, even if the you you. All the momentum was with them. I mean, it had changed slightly at halftime, but even if they go a goal down, they're, they're still in this game. The entire balance of, you know, the entire balance of power in, in Glasgow football hinged on that challenge, and it was a stupid challenge. Um, and yeah, naive. I, I, I disagree with you to the extent that it's not about somebody playing out of position. I, first of all, I think centre-half is now Beaton's position because he plays it for the national team as well and it also he's not that impressive as a midfielder either so it's not like you're saying oh my god he's been wasted in defence he's just he's just not really good enough for where Celtic want to be and that's my kind of issue with it he's not good enough as a centre-half I think most Celtic fans would have known that before the game that it's, it's a patchwork job with Julian out and it all goes back to it goes back to many feelings this, even though they dominated the game for me this still goes back to many feelings that were a problem with Celtic's season overall I wrote about this in an article for the Scotsman, so for those of you who've read it, I apologise I'm repeating myself, but I think only about 500 people read it. So, fuck it, we get much more people listening <laughs> to the show, so they wouldn't have heard it before. Uh, so, you've got Beaton playing, he makes a dumbass mistake, uh, he should he he should not have been playing, they should have been playing their 44 grand a week set and a half instead of him, but they weren't because he's even worse than near Beaton, and he actually could have showed that when he came off the bench, uh, that... He was. He looked like he was shitting himself. He looked like uh, the kind of confidence, the small little blocks of confidence that he's built up over kind of recent appearances are just completely gone. And he knew that kind of any mistake in this game was going to be absolutely amplified and played up massively. And he was, yeah, he didn't. So I kind of wondered at the time whether playing Beaton was was the right move to make because uh, I, I did think when the teams were read out that Celtic would be maybe defending a lot more than in most games, but they actually weren't. So it was it was kind of the right decision to play Beaton, but it's just it's a failure of bringing in another centre-half who's kind of on the same level as Ayer and, to a lesser extent, Julian. Then there's also the 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 left uh, the full-backs both played very well. Uh, you, you said Laxalt played well. I thought Frimpong was equally yeah, as impressive yeah. on the other side. What the, the two of them don't have is the ability to cross the ball. Jeremy Frimpong so far this season has a success rate from crosses at 19%. That is shite. 
Uh, Laxall isn't much better at 24, whereas Rangers have Tavernier at 31, I think it is, which is actually a down year for Tavernier. He's usually over 35. And Barisic, who is... His uh, accuracy is 45%. So it's it's two areas that have been very crucial to the Celtic team. And if you look at Laxall in particular, he was brought in and to play ahead of Greg Taylor because that was the problem with Greg Taylor. Greg Taylor was a fine defender. He was working hard. He was getting up and down the pitch. He was doing everything Laxall was doing. But his final ball wasn't good enough. And Laxall's come in. He's probably slightly better than Greg mm. Taylor. But he's still got the same flaw. So he, he's not the answer there as well. Um, I'm trying to think of failing number three. Uh, I, I've got. I mean, there, there's a there's a there's a failing even before this, and I think we have, we've talked about this previously. But the Celtic's transfers have have not been good enough, and signing players who are at, at, at the being very kind are as good as they've got is obviously a, a big problem. There's a further problem here, though, that had they retained Craig Gordon, for example. Like would he, like, I mean, there's an argument about whether Barkas could have done an awful lot better with the goal. I think personally, I think he could have. It didn't look great in replays, but you know, fine. Goalkeepers obviously been a problem for the entire season, and equally, um, even players like letting players like Simeonovic go, who was perfectly a perfectly capable centre back. Yes, yes, he had his foot, but is he was he any worse than you know? Duffy or or playing Beaton, I, I don't think so. So not only have they failed to recruit um, well enough to get to the next level with all the advantages in the world, they had the cards in their hands and tossed them. Um, not necessarily to 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 strengthen to the level that the fans think that they they deserve or or that the the dominance they've had over the last decade should probably have them in, but certainly to win this league. Yeah, I, I think it's just a failure of recruitment more than kind of because I think it was fair enough to. I mean, Gordon, personally, I would have given him a, a like a decent contract and said, and, and got Scott Bain to fuck. <laughs> said, like, we'll, we'll keep you over Scott Bain and you'll. We're bringing the new keeper. If the new keeper doesn't work out, you'll be the number one again, basically. Um, so they didn't do that. That was a kind of feeling there. But I don't necessarily disagree with the decision to try and move on to, and to, to bring in somebody better for that role. And the same with Duffy Simunovic. You need to remember if you're making the Simunovic argument that he also got sent off at Ibrox and <laughs> what could really have cost Celtic. But luckily for them, they were playing a Graham Murty team at the time <laughs> rather than playing a Steven Gerrard one. So, but they've just brought in the wrong players, really. And uh, you, you were right, though, in terms of the goalkeeper. That was actually my, my feeling number three because... While I don't, I wouldn't necessarily blame Barkas for the goal. Uh, maybe, maybe he could have done better. I, I, I still don't think even if he looked better, he might have been able to do much about it. But it's the fact that Rangers were saved themselves, like on a few occasions, by a great goalkeeper. Now, yeah. this this Celtic having a great goalkeeper in this game probably wouldn't have made any difference to, to the ebb and flow of the match and, and to the full-time result. But what it would have done is meant that they weren't, 19 points behind at this moment in time because yeah. a, a very good goalkeeper on, on the class of Alan McGregor would have saved some of the, the shots that Bain and, and Barkas and um, well, didn't drop any points under Hazard but even Hazard uh, failed, to, failed to save and the final feeling I thought as well just comes back to the manager uh, so Celtic so the red card happens Straight away, Lennon does the old kind of manager trope of right, we're down to 10 men let me take a forward off and go one up front. And it's quite an easy contrast to make because Steven Gerrard, throughout his time at Rangers, and I remember he'd done this especially in his first season, when they, when they went down to 10 men, he wouldn't actually take off a forward. Or he'd... Yeah, because he, he was always kind of playing 4-3-3. So he'd... he'd he would... It's, well, say if a defender went off, he would obviously take off a forward, but he would, he would never just leave one up front. He would never just go, right, two banks of four have somebody stand on their own, let's defend this out. He would always have two people up front, three midfielders, and then the back four as well. So, and then they would they would kind of work on basically channeling the opposing team down the wings and dealing it from that. And Rangers' record under Gerrard, with them having a man sent off, is very strong. And it's just, it's kind of a, it's an inventive way on, on how to, it's an inventive, it's, it's not only inventive, it's also, it's, 
uh, what's the what's the opposite of reactionary again? <laughs> proactive. Proactive. Thank you. It's proactive. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it's different mentalities as well. It's, it's like if you are one nil, if you're one nil up, or you know you're you're. You know, yeah. If you're if you're ahead and you know that you're going to have to sit in and you're going to have to deal with pressure, then you can understand why you may want to take off a striker and sit in, and you might have to sit deep, and yeah, you might want some. They pace were dominating on the, the game, like. But if you're exactly if you're dominating the game and you need a you need something, you, you know, you you still need to get something from it. Then all you're doing is you're 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 kind of inviting pressure on you because you don't have the additional players to hold the ball in the. It, it, um, yeah. and that's exactly that's, that's exactly what happened as well. Like immediately after those changes were made, immediately after the red card, Rangers were on top, and the goal is a type of goal that happens when you're under pressure. You know, it's a ball in the box. There's a, there's a ricochet, it bounces up in the air, it goes in. It's it, it's one of those. It's like it's one of those goals that you can't account for. And if you if you if you have yourself played deep, that you open yourself up to more. And it's just that was a, the, the fourth failure was the the difference in quality between the managers. Yeah, I think you can see that Gerard has learned a lot. Like you can, you can almost mark every six months and see what he's learned. You could write a, you can write a piece about like what he he's learned. He's quite good at taking. Or he seems to be quite good at taking what the criticism uh, has been when he first arrived. There wasn't a plan B. He came up with a plan B. They've. Uh, they've had their issues with if you packed their midfield, they couldn't like they couldn't get the ball quick enough. They had issues with um, with teams on the counter attack. They had teams of isolating. If you isolated Tavernier, you like took out ninety percent of the threat. He's always found another way of playing. Whereas I think Lennon has doggedly stuck to this idea that he had at the start of the season of a way of playing. Realized too late that it doesn't work. And is now kind of fumbling in the dark for for something for the rest of the season. Lennon hasn't even learned to distance himself from Scott Brown, even when they're on holiday. Quite. We'll come to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shall we come to that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Because I was was happy to move on then, so this could be our final word. Uh, Lennon Lennon and Brown having a laugh, having a drink on their their very hard-working training training week away. Good to to see they're having a pint in the sun while no one is allowed to go to the shops. (laughs) Or the pub. Or the pub, indeed. Or, Or even... Public parks and well, more than groups of two. Yeah, now that it's going into full lockdown again as well, won't even allow takeaway pints, will we? Well, nothing, nothing at all. But you know, good to see that the lads are having a having a good time, a well earned break from their <laughs> all their hard work so far this season. Right, let's uh, let's move on uh, and go to Hamilton. Hamilton three 0 winners. At home to Motherwell, the, the Lanarkshire derby. I mean, Keith Lasley, his first game in charge as caretaker boss. Apparently, he's got four games to prove himself. I think this should be enough. <laughs> I think if you lose 3-0 to this Hamilton Aki's team, I think that should be enough to condemn you. I think he's going to have to do an awful lot in the remaining three games. <laughs> like, three, you know, three 4-0 wins, and I don't think there would be quite enough to to get out of this. Um, God, Motherwell need surgery they need help i mean the on one hand a large part of the this result is because one team seemed to have a goalie and the other didn't um cal Gurley had a, had a very good game made a couple of very good well made a couple of good saves certainly saves that were harder than anything aaron chapman had to deal with and yeah aaron chapman conceded three goals um don't want to totally Pin the blame on him because there was all sorts of problems with Motherwell. That like defensively, they were all over the shop. But it is a big problem. Let me. I mean, we've we've said before that that he looks a bit like an outfield player playing in goals. <laughs> this was like, you know, if you're playing fives and some out, the you know the the a, a player gets injured or like he turns his ankle or something like that. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll go in goals. I'll, I'll see this one out in goals just because I don't want to make the teams unfair. That was Aaron Chapman. He was the injured outfield player that couldn't get down quick enough and couldn't move his feet quick enough and 
was caught out as near post and you're kind of feeling a bit sorry for him because he just doesn't quite look up. This is a guy that's got 200 appearances as a goal, like a, a, a goalkeeper at various levels throughout, you know, the, the third and fourth tier of English football. And uh, remarkable, remarkable to, to, for the ball to go through him. I was going to say twice. Like, yeah, I was going to say that. Like, you'd have some sort of sympathy with Motherwell because Aaron Chapman is like the for all intents and purposes the third choice keeper this season because Scott Fox was injured and then Scott Carson's been injured, came back and is now injured again. And but they still signed Chapman after Fox was injured, so they still went out and signed this player. So it's not like there's a degree of sympathy, but it's not like it's some 17 year old and you're outside the transfer window and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to ride or die with this young laddie and you hope that him playing is not going to completely kill his confidence in any kind of future prospects you have for you while also killing your team at this moment in time. Chapman's 30. Yeah. <laughs> he's 30 years old and like I say, he's got 200 appearances at, at some, some at the conference level, admittedly, but, you know, League 1 and League 2. Um, <laughs> in those I, leagues, I, I, the players just not shoot on target or something. Well, I mean, it's pretty damning indictment of the level that he was playing at before. But I don't. It's not like it's not. I mean, there are there are a dozen goalkeepers who the the drop off between the first choice and second choice in in most teams is pretty stark. And you know, if you're down to your third choice goalkeeper, then yeah, it, it is it is a bit worrying, and you might have to call in favors or emergency loans or whatever it is. But the manner of goals that were conceded, and it's not a one-off, and it could have been worse. You know, there were there were a couple that weren't punished, is alarming. And I think the worrying thing for Motherwell at the moment is the teams round about them, down the bottom of the league, are all like none of them seem to be particularly bad. Right at the moment, if if you were to say to like you know Ross County have had a bit of a bounce, they've got a new manager, they look a bit more cohesive than they have. St Johnston just can't win games; they've drawn lots of them, but you know they've had a bit of credit for this season. Uh, Hamilton have started winning. Um, Kelly have started like have got four points from their last couple of games. Motherwell are just plummeting like a stone, and they're look rudderless without the manager. The there are. Key players out of contract in the in the summer. I mean, Stephen O'Donnell's out of contract at the end of this month. Uh, um, so, what what is what is happening with? The, and if you take those players out, like you know, Declan Gallagher, Alan Campbell, Stephen O'Donnell, there there are those are big, big, big holes to fill, even if they survive. And at the moment, if you were to say as of this week, who is the worst side in the division? It's Motherwell. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. They they've got to really really hope that this uh, this appeal fails against their, their, their points the points that they want against uh, St Mirren and Killy I think it was uh, because otherwise they're they're definitely in big trouble because you have to agree and I said it like I think a lot of model fans are probably happy with Robertson uh, Robinson leaving uh, because things have been so poor this season or in twenty twenty in general. And they were kind of thinking, I think most fans would, would think they're that bad for, for that long, tend to want a change at the top because they just always assume it's going to be better. I think actually for Motherwell this time, this is maybe like one of those kind of rare occasions where you, you probably might have actually been better sticking with the status quo because the status quo might have kind of known how to turn it around. But then again, like Declan Gallagher was saying in the press that Stephen Robinson looked like a defeated man. And he just had no ideas of how to fix this, which again kind of goes back to what I was saying with Tony. Is that I wonder whether the he was he was told that there was due to the you know one thing and another there was limited funds for him to improve the team in January because typically this is what Robinson does. You know the struggle, the, the, I think it's twice now they've struggled really badly in December. And he comes up with the goods in January and suddenly they're a much better team. And for whatever reason, didn't fancy that this time around. No, I I think that is a that is a concern. I mean, there, that's, there is, sorry, we're going to just extend that point, and that makes it that makes it even kind of doubly harder for the next guy coming in, because even if maybe funds are released because it's a new manager and you want to you want to attempt a new manager in with with promise of being able to get players, the new manager might not be clear on, on how to improve things as Robinson was. 
then you might get a kind of transition period where he's trying to implement a new style or something like that. And it's just all, it's all very scary if you're a Motherwell fan, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, that, as you say, it's entirely possible that they get six points from administrative for administrative reasons, and then things look a little bit more rosy. Yes, and then and wildly, they probably only you would probably only need another, you know, nine points for the remainder of the season. because wildly safe. that would put them immediately at the seventh. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> one of those weird seasons, and no one at the bottom seems to be able to put together results. But if they don't, and I think I would be quite surprised now, and it's just based purely on a hunch, but based on and based on what's been going on down south with with games getting called off um for 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 covid reasons i would be quite surprised if those games weren't replayed now but you know based on nothing more than what's happening in england and the fact that there seems to have been larger breaches of rules than some of the things that were that that have gone on um that, that were highlighted in this but i, I think not just to highlight Chapman, I think Motherwell across the board were, were pretty bad. I mean, Lee Hodson for Hamilton's first has acres of space to run into. Like you're waiting for the you're you're waiting for a defender to come into shot, and you're like, no, no that's it, that's it. There's no there's nobody else. <laughs> this is it. Uh, Jake Carroll is is the closest to turn, but he still manages to get a shot away. It's not a particularly great shot, and yes, the goalkeeper should have saved it, and it kind of glitches in at the near post, but still. That amount of space. Second one is even is probably the worst of all of the they conceded like a swing and a miss from uh, Big Beavis, and uh, a, like a, a pretty tame shot from Callahan that goes in off Chapman's standing foot. But again, <laughs> like a, a a comedy of errors to get to the stage where he's shooting, but still, it's like one of those like glitch goals in FIFA when the keeper's dived and it hits his foot and you're like if you just stayed still you'd have stopped that and I mean the, the third one he probably should have done better with the third one as well but all things considered I think the third one's a, a fairly, decent, the one. fairly decent header from, from Callum Smith so we'll say we'll, we'll give him a pass on that with it. Motherwell are in trouble Tell me about Aki's because we've been very, very hard on Aki's this season, and I think rightly so because I still hate the look of that squad. But uh, they managed to, they, to, to well, it's caused behensive victory this one, isn't it? So they probably deserve some sort of praise. Yeah, so I've not seen the game, so you go ahead, Tom. Give yeah. give the Aki's fans, long suffering Aki's fans who are still listening to this podcast, give them something to smile about. They they are they are making this a fight, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. But they were good. They were um, Ross Callahan was good again. Uh, there's a lot of energy in the midfield. They actually played really, really good football um, for for most of it. Um, they put pressure on uh, the Motherwell defence when they went, had to go long. They they went long. They they but I, I was particularly impressed with them in the first half when they there was a lot of neat play in midfield that suddenly opened Motherwell up. Um, and I think there it is a it is a very limited squad. But they've at the start of the season they were they, they they were very open and they got criticism for that and they got annihilated a couple of times because they were very open. They've they kind of then went back to basics and they picked up a, a, a few results um, by being a lot more compact and a lot more stodgy and and playing some pretty more industrial, slightly ugly football. This was a mixture of both. Uh, in the first half, they were they were pretty neat. And I thought that they, the 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 fullbacks were getting forward. Um, admittedly, Mother will let them get at them, but Callahan was good. Ben Sterling was was impressive. Um, if they keep doing this, as they seem to have, uh, uh, they'll they'll probably be fine, despite having a squad that it should, on paper, be nowhere near good enough. Right, let's move on to another game and another team to absolutely stick the boot into, it, and that's Hibernian who were defeating 3-0 at home by Livingston. And I've said this on Twitter already today, I'm going to repeat myself again. One of the worst defensive performances I've seen from a team this season, Hibs, in this game. Uh, that's not to really kind of, you know, excuse their attack, who were ter- terrible in this match. I think uh, I wrote down their, their, I think their expected goals for this game was something horrendously pitiful. Uh, yeah, 0.21. At home at Livingston for Hibs, that is... I just wrote down the words beside it, Jesus, in all so they, caps. 
so by that by by that note, they could have played Livingston for four hundred and fifty minutes without scoring a goal. <laughs> yeah, seems about right, actually. Yeah, for this game, they only really had one clear cut chance. That was Ryan Porteous' header in stoppage time. Uh, but their the, their task wasn't made any easier by the fact that were two goals down and in uh, sixteen minutes, I think it was, and. It was just, and when I say defender, I'm not just kind of throwing the blame at uh, Paul Hanlon and Ryan Porteous here, even though they definitely deserve to, to take some of the blame because they were shocking themselves. Just the way they defended as a team, and you could probably just say the way that Hibbs approached this game as a team. Very, very, because when I watch, like, for instance, Hamilton losing eight goals at Rangers early in the season and Dundee United shipping four to Rangers could have shipped eight themselves. I remember that... I think in both those games, more so the United game, it was a case of, like, I thought the system failed the players. Hamilton, it was a kind of mixture of the two. Uh, this game, I don't think there was necessarily that, that much wrong with the system. I just think the players just really did not turn up at all. Now, a reason for this could be the fact that Hibs have a very small squad. And Ross, they've had a couple of injuries, and Ross tried to change it up as, as best as he could. Lewis Stevenson came back at the team... Stevie Mallon started a rare start for him this season, kind of moved pieces around to try and make sure they didn't lose a midfield battle while kind of retaining Kevin Nisbet and Christian Doidge in the same side. That meant that Nisbet started on the left, which is pointless. Uh, it's like literally one of the best strikers in the league. And But they just... So it could be that they were just knackered. And when you're, when you're low in energy physically, you're low in energy mentally, and that could have played into it. But it was just so bad. So bad, like, right from pretty much the off. Because even before they scored, Livingston had two opportunities. One of them was when Scott Robinson got to the ball before Dylan Barnes and, and dived. Uh, but had he had he taken a better touch and stayed on his feet, he could have easily rolled that into the back of the net. They also had a, a chance before then where it was basically came about because a direct ball was hit towards Robinson and nobody really got near him, and he was able to flick it on, and they were able to get a chance for there. And that was like the running theme throughout the entire match, was that Levinson were knocking it towards Robinson. He was somehow just be given free reign by Hanlon and Portius to do whatever the hell he wanted. Everybody else was sleeping, and they would just allow midfield runners to come join them. And they weren't, the runners weren't being tracked. Anytime there was a loose ball, it was very kind of half-hearted for Hibs. There, there's clearances some of the times when they were trying to get rid of the ball were just like haphazard as well, they're all flying everywhere, they're comical. I know there was some, there was Hibs fan on Twitter trying to say to me, like, the first goal they could finish, uh, the second goal there was offside in the build-up that wasn't called, third goal, the ball maybe gets stuck in the turf a little bit, but none of these are good enough excuses for the way that Hibs played in general. And the third goal, I actually fucking burst out laughing when I saw it, <laughs> because I'd already like written down like all these notes about how like these these two who've been very impressive centre-halves this season have been absolutely dominated by Scott Robinson, who's not even an out-and-out forward and is about half the size of him. And then he just... He goes... Just a long punt up the park. Just him running through with Hadlin and Porteous. Just gets easily the better of the two of them and scores. It was yeah, just... I've got, one team just wanted it much more. And I don't often say that because I think it's a bit of a cop-out for managers who set their teams up in, in, in shite ways. But it was just plain to see. Levinson... Like just turned up like they wanted to to win a football match, and Hibs were pretty much going through the motions. I've got that um, every Livy attack looked a bit like they were just going third down and long. It was like, and and Hibs just didn't know what to do with that. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're gonna you're gonna go long with this, but we're all we're all like ready to like blitz you. We're just gonna like hit you as hard. Oh my god, you've gone over the top. Fuck, what do we do? Uh, and that seemed to be the the recurring. Theme of it. I, I mean, I I think there were, I think there was there was some tactical issue. I think the the one the one thing that I think Hibbs didn't sort out was if you're going to play this, if you're going to play a high line, and you you probably can against Livingston most of the time. But if you're going to play that highlight, you do need someone. Like the the very basics of it are, you do need someone to win the first ball, and if you don't you definitely need someone to win the second ball against the none of those things striker. ever happened none of those things happened <laughs> it helps if you've got a bit of pace the it, it, i mean portis is re- relatively quick but it, it wasn't a particularly quick uh 
quick defence and, and Robinson uh, and Josh Mullen who gives Lewis Stevenson in particular a, a, a real torrid time and he seems to really be having a, a, a whale of a time under Martindale at the moment um, he, he's been in great form but yeah it, win the first ball or or win the second ball have a bit of kit pace and keep your concentration and they didn't seem to do any of that Um and those are those are pretty basic things to do. Now, if that's not happening, you might need to drop a bit deeper. You might need Gogic to come a bit deeper. And they did try th- this uh, that a little bit in the second half, but didn't seem to get to grips with this. Right, this is just this is going to go like seventy yards that way, and you're going to just have to try and deal with it. Oh, you've not dealt with it again. You mentioned Gogic. That was another weird thing of the game. Is that Gogic seemed to be the more advanced of the midfield sitting too, rather than Joe Newell, who just seemed to want to stay as deep as possible for the entire game. And I get that he likes to play the kind of you know quarterback role, but he's also I think he's better when he, he, he kind of mixes it up with driving the play forward. He didn't also seem to really want to do that that often. And it just meant that Gogic went forward instead, which is useless. Like, Gogic had like 60% possession, uh, 60% passing accuracy in this game. For a guy who's just supposed to stand in front of the defence and give the ball to better players, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't sure if that was a... I wanted to a bit of that, but I wasn't sure whether that was... That cannot be what he was asked to do. <laughs> Surely, Surely like, with, with Malin and Newell in the team, and if you're... You know, if you're playing Nisbet out wide, then that can't be what he was asked to do, surely. But um, it didn't work. Whatever, whatever <laughs> it, did, it, did, it really did not work. Hibs were very lucky to only get away with to get away with only the the, the three. Um, on Livingston, I think they, they were great again. They've they've really found their identity again. Yeah. There's that like, I mean, to to your point that they wanted it more. There's that like Cruyff. Johan Cruyff thing about going where the ball isn't. Livy go where the ball is, and they go in numbers. So it's like every ball you get. If you get something on every ball, and there's someone there to support every ball, you're going to be pretty hard to play against. And that's that seems to be that's that's very reductive and a very simplistic way of explaining what they're doing because it's obviously a lot harder than that. But they got something on every ball, and then they made every second ball work and admittedly Hibs played into their hands by being pretty naive and and being caught out with a ball over the top every single time but Livy were very hard to play against and they've they they'll, they'll be top six yeah I'd, 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 I'd think so the to, to throw yeah I could pretty much go through the entire team to be honest when it comes to Livy maybe except for the goalkeeper who didn't have anything to do apart from done one horrendous kick out that went straight to Christian Doidge which John Guthrie I think it was mopped up but the defence Guthrie was excellent Ambrose maybe had his kind of best defensive game in a Levy shot and also noticed quite a lot he was just he was doing a lot of hoofing out of the park which isn't very F.A. Ambrose I think he's maybe been told <laughs> by Martindale that uh, the kind of what he was kind of originally assigned to do when they started playing him at like left wing back uh, for that weird reason, <laughs> that he's like, just forget all that, just you defend, and whenever you get the ball, if you're under any pressure, just get rid of it. Uh, I thought Kieran Brown, uh, left back, was, was perfectly fine as well. Just even going, in fact, he played really well because he's going up against Martin Boyle and he, he, Brown's himself, not exactly the, the quickest of players. And Devlin came up with a big challenge in the first half to stop Nisbet. Bartley was was pretty decent, especially in the second half. Uh, I thought Holt had a really good game. Sibold as well. Like I say, I could just go through the entire team and say there was, there was really no failures for Livy and they thoroughly deserved the win. Before we move on, though, there, just, there was one more example I was defending that I just need to rant about uh, before we move on because this was, this was fucking criminal. Um, it was at 3-0 and it should have been a goal, in my opinion. Well, it's, like, it's Jason Holt with a free shot from... Like just inside the penalty area, and he should do a lot better. He kind of scuffs it right at the keeper, and Holt. Uh, I mean, he's he's not been, he's not really been a regular goal scorer in the top flight, kind of at all. But he's definitely got the technique to do it. He could have showed it at championship level for Rangers. He even showed it in, in fits and spurts for Hearts. So he should have done better with that effort. But the, the ease in which he was able to get in that position was unbelievable. I could like I was just flabbergasted. Like he just plays like a, like he plays a one two someday. Runs along the edge of the box. Hanlon and Porges just back off just like give him five yards of space like go on mate have a dig it's just like I honestly could not believe what I was seeing anyway let's move on 
We're giving him enough of a kick. That was good. Especially after <laughs> watching Hearts shit the bed on Saturday. Uh, could write about that, but this is a premiership show. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> move on to Ross County against St Johnston. Uh, one each in the Highlands. Ross County taking the lead through Ross Draper. Uh, St Johnston equalised it uh, quite quickly through Craig Cornway. And a, a fairly even encounter. I'd say probably Ross County maybe just about edged it in, in, in terms of they had kind of like the last two kind of best chances of the game. And I was thinking before then that it was a, a draw was a fair result. Because County could have came out, were much the better team in the opening 20-25 minutes. The equaliser pretty much came out of nowhere yeah, with a penalty. And, uh, I'll get onto that in a second. Then St. Johnson got a bit of life for the penalty. Started to kind of... Until that point, that I thought they were very passive and just kind of allowing County to knock the ball about the park. And you can see already that the County's new kind of... New kind of philosophy under Hughes. Not to say that Kettlewell, you know, always thumped it long. He did want to play kind of attacking football, but his style was a little bit more direct. Hughes, we know, likes to play kind of shorter passive football. You saw that in the, the stats where, I think uh, I wrote this down, seven members of the County 11 completed 80% or more of their passes, two over 90% in Vigors and Kelly in the centre of the park. So I think that tells you a lot of what County were trying to do in this game. I really liked the, their movement. Uh, getting players up alongside the forward swapping positions guys giving like Harry Payton for instance getting kind of free reign to move from the right over to the left and you know back in the centre and, and link with players as opposed to just being wedded uh, to, to one role uh, but Johnson then managed to they upped their urgency a little bit got kind of let, let County know they were in a game basically you know put bodies on them you know shove them you know, just just let them know. Be a bit more physical. Get a bit tighter. Get a bit in their faces more. They started to come into the match. Thought they were the better team up until half time. Second half, thought County could have up the temple again. They they looked a bit better. And then the last twenty minutes, up until those two chances at the end, from about sixty eight minutes to about you know eight to eight. So Johnson were just all over County. County couldn't get out of their own half. In fact, I think there was maybe one failure of Hughes in this game was that he didn't take. Ollie Shaw off quick enough and as soon as he brought him on and brought Mackay on the ball started to stick again up front and they looked a bit better and maybe they would have uh, found an extra gear to get the points had they done that about 10-15 minutes earlier and it maybe could have cost them a point as well but there's certainly improvement I'm seeing from County Yeah I think you know we touched on we touched on Motherwell being a bit rudderless and looking for some inspiration I think County look like very quickly, they look like you'd expect Ross County to play. Uh, uh, and not just to, to play, but they look like a slightly more, a much more compact, a much more cohesive. They look like they've got a game plan. And if, you know, if you'd watched a bit of football over the years and you're like, right, we're going to go play again, uh, play Ross County, they look a bit more like you would imagine that Ross County side to, uh, to look. They're, they're solid in the midfield. They've got a bit of. Um, I thought um, Stephen Kelly had another really good game. The 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 fullbacks were getting forward. Uh, Naismith had a, a pretty good game as well. Uh, they were combative and they look like without having cha- any obvious changes to, to to personnel. They look like they've got a shape and a system and a game plan. I take a point that uh, St. Johnson came back into it, but again, as mentioned previously, St. Johnson just seemed to lack a killer instinct to kill games off. And even though probably on the whole, the um, th- they were more dominant for a longer period of time, um, Sandra Clark had to make two very good saves to, to, uh, to, to keep a point. Yeah, yeah. And th- th- to be fair... But they're two very good saves, so should we give them they that? They, yeah. Especially the first one. The first one's an outstanding save. Yeah. He really should have done better for the goal, though. <laughs> he, yeah, pass, he passes it straight to draw Shaper. Just pick it up. There, there are there are a number of culprits for this one. Yeah, uh, that's true. There were, uh, but yeah, it, it it wasn't it wasn't a glorious. Uh, they they, I don't know. I I can't really give any any positive feedback whatsoever <laughs> yeah you if you're gonna if you're gonna put it anywhere in the box put it anywhere but the guy standing on the penalty spot i think he thought he wasn't allowed to pick it up but it looked to me like a hit off a defender's knee so 
I don't think there can be many referees that in that situation would have seen anything, any kind of grabbing the ball as anything deliberate. Yeah. I think the only thing deliberate in the 10 seconds that led up to that goal was Rob's, Ross Draper's finish. Yeah, I know. There was, a, there was a bit of a calamity. And same can be said for the equaliser penalty where Cole Donaldson makes a, a very daft pass in the penalty box. Then Watson, who he's passing to, also is quite daft and tries to let it run across him and ends up making a daft challenge as well. So there's three stupid mistakes there. It gives Johnson the penalty. They they come into the game from then on. And there was another incident as well in the second half that County got away with where Harry Payton tried to like basically dribble the ball out with his own penalty box under a little bit of pressure and slipped. And Johnson didn't create a chance for it, but they very easily could have. And these are just, I think... The kind of growing pains for this county team under Hughes because, you know, he's encouraging them to pass the ball out for the back, to to concentrate on, on passing the, the ball and not just kind of lumping it and and to be braver in possession. Uh, but obviously you need to pick your moments and it'll be a learning curve for these guys as they kind of get more used to this style of play that there are times to do it and there are times to just get rid. Donaldson should have got rid, Watson should have got rid. And so should Payton. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I mean, considering that, but I think considering Ross County dropped to the bottom with only getting a point, they'll be relatively pleased with their fortnight. Yes, um, oh definitely. I think, and I think we again of the teams that are down there, they probably will have some room to recruit. Whether that's because they, you know, they 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 recruit some money from from selling some players or or you know just some money freed up but they they should have some money and they don't look like they need major from from the team that from sort of six weeks ago which just looked like it was reacting to whatever the latest problem was um and I, you know no disrespect to Kettlewell they they didn't look like they really had any kind of identity or any kind of idea of how to to set up to get the best out of their team uh they do look a lot more cohesive now. They do look like everyone has a role. They do look like the the way the team is being deployed is related to the assets of each individual player, which seems like a very simple thing to do, but um, <laughs> apparently not. Uh, but I think they'll they will probably be fine. And just a, a word on St. Johnson, a couple of players just to highlight: Ali McCann. I thought after. A fairly quiet kind of opening 20 minutes or so when, when Johnson were struggling. He really came into the game. I thought he was probably the most impressive player for them, maybe even the most impressive player in the park for that point forward. And David Wotherspoon, uh, off the bench, kind of really gave them a, a lift when he came on. Had the had the header for Kane's chance and then also won the free kick, which then led to another free kick with County struggling to get out their own half, which then was the chance for McCart. Uh, at the back post uh, we're, we're Ross Laidlaw himself I have to say made a very good save another goalkeeper who we've uh, thrown a lot of shade at this season and deservedly so but he came up trumps there and yeah County St Joseph fans aren't necessarily that happy though with their team and I think we'd happily drive some of the signings away to a new club <laughs> also yeah I can agree I don't think they were necessarily that happy with me starting on the bench and, and Kane starting up front Kane should only really be used in emergency situations or as a squad player he's, he's fine for a St Johnson squad player he seems like a player for his entire career almost <laughs> uh, but I, I wouldn't be going starting him many times when you've got a guy who's in double figures this season and can, can do a lot of the things that he can in terms of you know working hard from the front and another thing they're not happy about Craig Conway is very much in their bad books now they weren't sure him at start with I think he kind of they came around to him when they started to have a bit of good form but now they're fed up and <laughs> we'd happily see him go in January <laughs> not that I think it'll happen though and I can see why for this game. He had eight crosses in the box, only one of them hit a target. That's pish. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Let's move on to our penultimate game. Kelly won, submitted one. Controversy in the last minute. Danny Rogers allegedly grabbing the ball out the air, carrying it over his own goal line. Tom, what did you make of this? Um... So every time that I every time I, I see these in especially in in games down south, immediately I think that's there's, there's no way that's over the line. There's no way that was over the line. And the 
when I've got nothing, no skin in the game and, and I can watch them back on video replays uh, or, or games in England, inevitably it is over the line and usually it's over the line by quite a bit. So instinctively, and having watched the replays, I thought it wasn't in, but every time that I think that, it, it is. So it probably was, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So I my gut is that it probably wasn't over the line, so it almost certainly was. And, and you know, it, 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 to be slightly less flippant about it, Rodgers is quite a long way behind. Like he, it, it, He's definitely holding the ball out in front of himself, but he is a foot behind the line, and he does push the ball forward. So given no other evidence, you can certainly see why it was given. Um, was it harsh? I, I think the... I think Kilmarnock in the first half made St Mirren look very average. Um, I think it was much, much better from Killy. The, the, they kind of picked up where they left off, having having beaten Motherwell. Um and should have been further ahead at, at halftime. I think that the, the St Mirren team have, uh, that have got a lot of credit in, in recent weeks, they look decidedly average. Uh, Danny Whitehall, the second in, in two games. Alan Power was kind of running midfield. Um, and Chris Burke was all over the place, left and right. Um, they had the chances to put the game out of sight and didn't... Um, did... did, did St Mirren did come back into it in the second half and, and had a couple of chances. Ultimately, it was, it was kind of a controversial one as to whether the whether the, the, the ball crossed the line as to whether the, the draw was merited or not. But I think the the bigger frustrations, and certainly judging by like Craig Anderson's comments on on, on Twitter, are uh, it was a it was a game that was won and could have been won either by. Uh, either by scoring some of the opportunities that they had in the first half when they were completely dominant or by killing the game in the second half. Um, or by making more than one substitution. More than one substitution, exactly. That was good. <laughs> um, one, what, is one, it? what is it, Alex Dyer? What do you hate about substitutes? What, was, just, what happened to you in your life when you just have such an aversion to substitutes? Maybe he's just really bad at timekeeping. Just, <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, it's, is that 90? Oh, I just... Oh, you know, I had all time. these, I had had all these great plans for all these great players. Why do games gonna... keep coming? Why do games keep, keep ending so soon? <laughs> it's got it's dark. I didn't notice. No, no it's, the sun's gone down. Um, but yeah, that that would that was the other point that um, they made one substitution. You could tell that like it, it, it's admitted or nothing if not hard working, and you could tell that Kelly were getting tired and they were. They they could certainly have done with a bit of uh, a bit of fresh impetus. They did have options on the bench. Um, it's not the biggest squad in the world by by any stretch, but you know they they did have Pinnock, they did have Shavula. You, you um, certainly you certainly think Shavula. that Aaron Tishbola could have came on for Yusuf Malumbu, who must have played yeah. the first ninety minutes in about three years. <laughs> yes, quite. Um, and and I, I mean, would that have caused? Would that have changed the? The game on a game on a game that was ultimately leveled by a, a controversial goal, probably not. But would it have um, would would it have given uh, Kelly a bit more impetus and possibly gone to kill the game off? You would have thought so. It certainly wouldn't have hurt them. How how was Malumba? Um, fine. <laughs> like fi- like I mean, rusty. I think uh, in. I think everything that you would, I would say everything that you would kind of expect. Like he, he's obviously talented and he slotted into the midfield. And when they were on top, and when you know, in the first half, especially when when Burke and Power were causing an awful lot of problems, and were finding passes in between um, the the St. Martin defence, and were, were kind of splitting lines. Really, really, he was, you know, he was very effective in, in supporting that. But like you say, he's uh, he's not played ninety minutes in a very long time. He's not played a huge amount of football this season. He's not played a huge amount of football over the course of the, you know the, the last week while uh, um, you and and was on a booking early doors. So you would have thought it would have made sense to 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 get him off at least you know twenty minutes before the end. Just 
because as the game went by, he like he, he obviously his energy levels obviously and understandably dropped, and he just he, he was kind of a passenger for the last twenty minutes. Anything stand out from a Simon point of view? Um, they were a bit. I think the the main thing that was a bit that was a standout is after getting a lot of credit for the last ten games. They looked a bit more like the Samaritan at the start of the season in this one, and it might just be um, fatigue. It might just be they've had a long run of games. They don't have a particularly big squad, but they didn't. They were a long way from the sort of snapping at heels pressure side that has caced problems. You know that they're not Rangers out of the League Cup that um, was getting at teams and uh, and kind of swarming their midfield. They yeah they they didn't look. They didn't look brilliant. Um, I think they've again they've got a bunch of games in hand and they've got a chance to to break into the top six. If they play like this, they won't. <laughs> right, let's uh, move on to our final game. Don't have to talk about this too much. Aberdeen nil, Dundee right nil. God, it's this. I'd seen this before. So if anyone watched the game at, at Tanadice earlier in the season, it was exactly this game. Exactly this game again. Uh, the game at Tannadice early in the season, uh, Aberdeen dominated the first half, should have had a penalty, uh, but didn't really create an awful lot of clear-cut chances, were pretty blunt in attack. United defended very well and were better in the second half and had a couple of really good chances themselves that, that they, they got on the break. That was exactly what happened in this game as well. Um Maybe United were a little bit better in the second half. It, it was just, it, it was two teams that, I guess you could say Dundee United are functioning because they did exactly what they set out to do. They set out to be, they they set out to be rigid. They set out to, to sit deep and they did. Um, even, I mean, there have been frustrations from the Dundee United supporters, so I don't think I'm being this is just being sour grapes here, but even in the second half, when you thought they were on the ascendancy, so they took off Peter Pollitt and they put on Dylan Powers, which at a time when they were in the ascendancy, they were they were certainly getting more pressure. There was more concerted pressure around the Aberdeen box. It made them even more stodgy. And I guess for Dundee United, it's like, what what's the ambition for the season? I don't think they'll be up particularly upset, and, and Mickey Mellon seemed to suggest that, at getting a point. Um, but, God, they're boring to watch. And I don't think... <laughs> apologies to anyone who uh, who loves this team and really thinks that they're... they're um, that's me being unfair or being sour so grapes. I think in fairness, they have, they have shown signs of being a bit... More attacking in some games recently, but I think he's instead of being boring in every game now, I think he's now picking and choosing when to be boring. And you know, I, I, there's a place for it. And if you'd said to Dundee United fans that this is where you're going to be uh, at this stage of the season and they've got a very good chance of finishing the top half uh, playing like this, I don't think they'd be particularly unhappy. It's like it's it's frustrating for many teams anywhere else in the league to see two Scotland internationals with feeding on scraps the way that they are but they're they're very well drilled and they were very good defensively Mark Reynolds had a very good game um uh, and their midfield kind of especially as the the game wore on just didn't give a didn't give away anything they they swarmed all over Aberdeen um and Prop and could have won it in the second half, um, but I think it, it's it's sort of a case, this this was a case of one team that was very organised defensively. We're happy with a point against one team that was pretty disorganised, not quite functioning the way that they were a couple of weeks ago, um, and have have kind of got some problems of their own making um, over the last few weeks with with personnel and and how to get the most out of. What's a what, what Aberdeen fans certainly thought was was the best squad they've had in a very long time. Yeah, that's is it, is it just mainly a case of the kind of front players that are missing. So Derek McKenna said was quite enthused about Scott Wright returning to the to the squad for for instance. 
Uh, I think he certainly has been a bit of a miss because even though that's a weird thing to say, because you would have thought you would have said that at the start of the season, that, that Scott Wright would be such an influential player for Aberdeen. But the 3-4-3, three, three, I think that's just his, his kind of his best role. It is one of like two number 10s where he's kind of got that where him being like what, you know, basketball fans would call a tweener, like somebody in between positions, mm. uh, it kind of works to his advantage. And whether they're kind of also missing somebody like Watkins up front, somebody who's just, uh, I mean, Curtis Mays not immobile, but, you know, not quite to you know, a Marley Watkins extent. Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. I think the formation the the formation and the, the sort of six-week period when Aberdeen were playing really good football was all about the movement and about the personnel. Like the back three really works because of the personnel. Like Tommy Hoban in particular, I don't think the back three would work as well with, without him. Uh, the midfield, the the midfield um, works for the personnel as well. The 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 out wide, you know, having a team basically of wingers means you can have like Kennedy Hayes or or McLennan um, as your your wingbacks, and that worked really well. And it was working really well with like hedges and right seem to have some sort of sixth sense and and play off each other really nicely the the best football Aberdeen have played this season has been between the two of them and uh Watkins slotted well into that they didn't like he wasn't a natural finisher he like, should have scored more than he did but he brought more players into it and it meant you had kind of a front three that rotated you didn't really know who you were picking up and it was a very different Aberdeen to that has been over the last few years when people kind of know what they're, they're going to get. When you've got Curtis Main there, like he, he works very hard, but it's not quite the same. It's a very, it's a very different dynamic. Um, even if they put uh, Sam Cosgrove back in there and he doesn't seem to be favoured at the moment, it, it's the same sort of, I think he's a probably he's a better option, but it's the same sort of uh, the the same sort of play and plan B at the moment seems to be rather than a, another um, you know a, a, another player that that could possibly bring both right and hedges into it. Um, plan B seems to be putting Main and Cosgrove up together, which um, hasn't worked. <laughs> Does it sound like it ever will? No. <laughs> In this writer's opinion, it will not. Right. Thank you very much, Tom. I think that'll do us. Thank you very much to everybody for listening. Myself and Tom are now going to head over to the Patreon uh, to talk through some New Year's resolutions for Scottish football teams, personalities, whatever. Uh, so if you'd like to listen to that, that's going to be in our two, £2 tier. Uh, there, there's plenty of other content on the on the five pound tier as well, and if you'd like to receive a, a t-shirt and a, an exclusive fanzine at the end of the season, you join the seven pound tier. So that's patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast, and that's it. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Sorry about lockdown. <laughs> Let's try and make the best of it. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.